Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 125 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, the elusive Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right. This is going to be a bumper show, it really is. We've got for you two undefeated world champions that will be, you know, coming on as a guest and all the all the rest of it. Um, we've also got the uh, the winner of the t-shirt competition to be announced a little bit later on. So let's waste no more time. Let's get straight underway with the reviewing, starting from last Thursday. This was the first of March. This one happened over in Tokyo, Japan. The rematch for the WBC World Bantamweight title. It was crazy because uh, Lewis Neary, who was in one corner, he actually beat Yamanaka for the belt. And then, of course, he failed a drugs test. You know, he wasn't really penalized. He wasn't banned or anything like that. I think he had a fight in the... Um, you know, in, in, in the aftermath, like a couple months after, something like that. So he wasn't banned. And then they had the rematch here. But going into this fight, by the way, Lewis Neary actually fouled the weight. So the belt was only on the line for, for Shinsuke Yamanaka, who was 27-1 and one with two draws going in. Of course, that one loss came to Neary. And Lewis Neary, 25-0, and 0, he got in there. He's only a young kid. I mean, people have kind of made their mind up about him a little bit with the drugs test and stuff like that. But anyway, he, he knocked his man out in the second round TKO in round two, so a huge win there for Lewis Neary. But once again, because um, he fouled the weight, the you know the belt, the WBC World Bantamweight title is still vacant, so nobody has that at the moment. But Lewis Neary proceeds now to 26 and 0. I'm guessing he'll probably move up in weight to Super Bantam. Um, Sinshuki Yamanaka as well. He he's now 27 and two with two draws. So all the very best to both guys there. Moving over now to the Bowlers Exhibition Centre in Manchester. Chester Lancashire. Uh, one fight to mention on this bill, Jezza Dickens. He picked up win number 23. He's, of course, got three losses also. It was a TKO for him against Barney Agules, who was 11-8 and eight going in, now 11-9. and nine. That was a TKO there in round five. Moving over now to the York Hall in Bethnal Green, London. This was a show that I was present for. It was a bit of a madness, to be honest, because... Um, you know, the snow was so, so bad that most of the fights, I think there was supposed to be nine fights on the bill and most of those fights fell through. I think there was only four at the very end of it. So um, I'm going to just kind of go over that. Um, we saw, let me start here with, in fact, there was five fights in total. Um, DP Carr, he moved to 9-0. and oh, It was a points win over six rounds against Paul Holt, who was 7-6, and six, so a six-round points win there. It was quite a close fight as well. The referee scored it 58-57 in favor of DP Carr there. Also on this bill, Harley Ben moved to 3-0. and It was a points win over four rounds against James Gorman. Uh, James Gorman, the journeyman, really. You know, he came into the fight with a record of 8-46. and um, Quite a tough kid, though. I mean, what, what I will say about Harley Ben, he, he seemed to... Um, for the first time, I've watched all of his fights. I've been ringside for all of Harley Ben's fights. And sometimes he, 
he seems a little bit nervous for me and this time he came out to his music he didn't really seem nervous at all um you know this time when he was fighting everything was behind the jab the jab was you know being used to set everything up he seemed quite relaxed which i liked um you know he needs to he needs to relax a little bit more i think to, to you know to to be a little bit of a better fighter but he's very much a work in progress i think he's going to get better and better he seems to kind of at this stage he wants to rush his work a little bit too much i think that he needs to just calm down a little bit um but yeah it was the best i've seen him despite going the full distance the referee had it 40 to 37 in favor of harley ben uh, also on this build, Jake Petit moved to 3-0. He knocked out Dennis Bartos, who was 1-1. One one. Uh, this was a third-round TKO, by the way. Bartos was down twice in the second round and once in the third. Um, yeah, Jake Petit is um, a product of the iBox gym, I think it is, down in Bromley. Uh, also on this build, Zach Chelly moved to 4-0. It was a TKO in round two against a guy called Prism Slaw Binienda. Who was two and sixteen? Zach Chelly once again shows his punching power. It was only a four rounder, but he didn't need those two extra rounds. Um, and finally, Sanjeev Sohota moved to eleven and oh, it was a points win over eight rounds against Kane Baker, who was five and two going in. Now this fight here was a really good fight. It was the fight of the night. I mean. You know, when you get the measuring stick out, his opponent here, Kane Baker, he got stopped in two rounds by Connor Ben. Um, you know, going into this fight here, he had a record, you know, winning record of five and two, like I say. Not much power, though. That's the only real thing with Kane Baker. He doesn't really have much power. He didn't have enough power to keep Sanjeev Sohota off of him, um, you know, which wasn't a good thing, obviously. He landed some great shots, though, on Sohota, and he made it a really, really tough night's work for Sohota. Um, Sohota was very lethal when he was going to the body which I noticed and I thought that um, it was the right thing to do because I think that Kane Baker's got quite a skinny frame so going to the body with the power shots I think was the right thing to do but Baker's a tough tough guy and he showed that here um, he snapped Sohota's head back many many times during the night and if he did have some power about him I think he very well could have knocked out Sohota um, you know once again Sohota was showing me not too much defense I've criticized him for that in the past I think that Sohota had quite a big edge in power and that was really the difference but you know Baker was definitely definitely well in the fight and it was the best fight of the night like I say but going into the seventh round it was an eight rounder going into the seventh round it was a very very tight 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 fight and um you know another little criticism with Kane Baker I think he kind of paused he pours with the jab. He doesn't really throw it. He doesn't turn his, his shot over properly, especially as the rounds go on. He was just pouring with the jab. And Sohota was visibly tired as well, which was quite surprising. But yeah, as the fight went on, Baker seemed to look the fresher. And in the eighth round and the final round, like I say, it was a very good round for Sohota. Um, he found a bit of a second wind. And I think that Baker's gum shield came out once or twice. He was really, really tired. But it was still a super, super close fight. The referee scored the bout 77 to 76 in favor of Sohota. So he just about got it by the skin of his teeth there. And I think certainly if Baker won the last round, I'd have definitely, definitely gave him the fight. Because I think he fought out of his skin. Um, and I don't really like to do it too much, but he got out of the ring and I had to literally touch gloves with him. I said, like, well fought, mate, you know. And his girlfriend was watching ringside, which I never think is a good thing for boxers to bring their, their girlfriends into fights with them, you know. Especially if, you know, you're a big underdog like you would have been. So, um she was getting all nervous and she actually tapped me on the shoulder at one point and tried to get me to send a message to the corner to ask if Kane Baker's nose was okay and stuff like that, you know. 
you know, your spouses and stuff like that, and you know, your family, they they get really sensitive. Of course, you can't blame them. So, I don't think it was a great idea, um, you know, for for his for his girlfriend to be there. But yeah, it was what it was. Um, I think that to some degree, Kane Baker exposed Sanjeev Sahota a little bit more, and I don't really rate Sahota too much. I think he's definitely an exciting fighter, but certainly, you know, he's not a world beater at all, and he's very easy to hit Sahota. But anyway, that's it for that bill. Moving over now to Germany, one fight to mention over here, Avni Yildirim picked up the WBC International Super Middleweight title against Derek Edwards. Derek Edwards is a man that knocked out Badu Jack all those years ago. Avni Yildirim now 18-1. and one. It was a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. Also in Germany, but in a different venue, Enrico Colin got in the ring. I think it's his first fight back since losing to Arta Baturbiev for the vacant IBF title. He picked up a knockout in round one against Georgi Beroshvili, who was 30 and 22 with three draws. Enrico Colin now 25 and 2. And the top of this bill for the vacant EBU light heavyweight title, Dominic Bozell. His record 27 and 1 now. It was a unanimous decision over Sergei Demchenko, who was 18 and 12 now with one draw. So the new EBU light heavyweight champion there, Dominic Bozell. That's a fight I would quite fancy for Anthony Yard, to be honest. Um. Moving over now to the National Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. One thing that I just want to mention on this bill, they were doing some kind of prize fighter thing. And for those that may not remember prize fighter, it's basically like a like a six man tournament where um, oh no, sorry, an eight ma- an eight man tournament where there'd be four fights between eight men, and they'd be four free round fights, and they would all happen on the same night. And so as soon as one of you loses, you go out of the competition, and then of course after the four fights in the quarterfinals, there'd be two fights in the semifinals, and the winner of the whole thing who won the final would get like a big you know bonus prize money. So. That was going on here in the National Stadium in Dublin. There was a guy here who ended up winning it, and his name was Roy Sheehan, who I've never actually heard of. Um, he came in to the fight with a record of 1-0. and um, he, he took on a guy called Vladimir Bajewski, who was 2-0 and with one draw. He beat him unanimously over three rounds. But what really impressed me is he actually beat J.J. McDonough, who was 16-3. and J.J. McDonough, the guy that knocked out J.J. Ball, so um, I thought that was quite impressive. So, like I say, he had three fights on this bill. Roy Sheehan, he beat that guy there two and zero, unanimous decision. Then he beat JJ McDonough, unanimous decision. Then he went into the final against Jack Cullen, who was eleven and zero, quite a prospect, and he knocked him out in the first round. So Roy Sheehan now has a record of four and zero. So I just want to say that's that's phenomenal for a guy that went into a competition with a record of one and zero, and he's absolutely dominated everything there. So amazing stuff. Maybe. Roy Sheehan will become quite a name. We'll have to wait and see. Um, that's it for that one. Moving over now to Puerto Rico at the Coliseo Mario Morales. Juan Manuel Lopez returned to the ring. Uh, he's gone on way too long for me. He took on Jason Velez. Um, Lopez was cut over the right eye. Velez knocked Lopez down in the 12th round, and the referee actually stopped the fight after Velez um, followed up. When you know, when 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 Juan Manuel Lopez got back up off the floor from being knocked down, Velez steamed in, and the referee stopped it. So um, yeah, a, a, a TKO there in the 12th and final round for Jason Velez. His record now 26 and four with one draw, and Juan Manuel Lopez needs to hang the gloves up for me. But his record, 35 and 6. Moving over now to the Emperor's Palace in Kempton Park, South Africa. One fight or two fights to mention on here. Just one, actually. This bill was on Box Nation. It was the, you know, like the 
seven o'clock card. I think he actually came on at five thirty. My mistake. But anyway, Kevin Larina, nineteen and one. He put his IBO World Cruiserweight title on the line against Dimitro Kutcher, the guy that knocked out Enzo Macronelli and then lost to Marco Huck. It was a twelve-round unanimous decision in favour of Kevin Larina, so he successfully defends this IBO World Cruiserweight title. Larina now twenty and one. Dimitro Kutcher twenty-four and three with one draw. Moving over now to the Brentwood Centre in Brentwood, Essex. Um, a couple fights to mention on this one. Aaron Morgan, 12-1. and one. His only loss came to Joe Pigford. That was a fantastic fight, by the way. But anyway, he returned to the ring against a guy called Victor Erdaga, who was 0-26 and 26 with one draw. It was a points win over four rounds for Aaron Morgan. Also, Sonny Edwards, who was supposed to be fighting on the Friday night at York Hall, the show that I was at, that fight fell through, and he ended up fighting on this card, which was at MTK Global Show. He took on Patrick Bartos, who was 12-17. and 17. Bartos was down four times, and he was knocked out a TKO in the second round round there for Sonny Edwards, so he's now 7-0. and In fact, let me just quickly pause what I'm saying here one second and just go over to my WhatsApp conversation with Sonny Edwards. Um, I spoke to him the other day, and I'm sure I mentioned this fighter to him. Let me just quickly have a look here. Um, Patrick Bartos. Yeah, I mentioned him because he fought the week before, and he got beat by Harvey Horn. Um, and I know that a lot of people are actually... Um, you know, comparing Harvey Horn with Sonny Edwards. Well, Sonny Edwards, I literally told him about him, and he actually said to me here, I'm going to see if I can get him. And I said, what, Patrick Bartos? And he said, yeah, I'm going to try and see if I can get him. I'd like to stop him as well. And he obviously got him. So I'm going to take a bit of credit for the matchmaking there. But yeah, getting the measuring stick out here, um, this guy, Patrick Bartos, that he fought, um, you know, he's... He's, he's, he's record now 12 and 18, but of his losses, he lost, like I say, most recently there in the second round to Sonny Edwards. He went the distance with Harvey Horn over four rounds. He got knocked out in one round by Haroon Khan. Um, he got knocked out in the second round by Jamie Conlon, and he went the distance over four rounds and lost against Prince Patel. So quite a decent job there for Sonny Edwards, who's only 7-0 and now, so... I quite like that win there. Also on this bill, a guy that I'm quite high on, but um, I want to see him stepped up a little bit, to be honest. Johnny Coyle, he's a traveller, but he's a very, very good fighter, like most travellers are, to be honest. He's now 18-0 and with one draw. It was a points win over six rounds against Miguel Aguilar. Um, also on this bill, Larry Ekendeo. I think it's his first fight since losing a very, very close one to Gary Corcoran. Of course, Gary Corcoran went on to fight Jeff Horn. But um, elsewhere, Larry Ekendeo moved to 13 wins. He's got one loss. It was a points win over six rounds against Adam Grabich. Um, that's it for Brentwood Centre. Moving over now to the SSE Hydro Arena. This one in Glasgow, Scotland, United Kingdom. couple fights to mention before we get on to the main event. Lee McGregor moved to 3-0, a TKO in two rounds against Pablo Navarez. Um, Chantel Cameron successfully defended her IBO World Female Lightweight title against Miriam Dalau. Chantel Cameron now 6-0. and It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Also on this bill, Jason Easton, 11-0, and lost his O and um, lost his chance, really, at the Commonwealth title because the Commonwealth super lightweight title was on the line. It was vacant. Glenn Foote was in the other corner. Very, very good fight Glenn Foote fought there. I think that Jason Easton, to his own admittance, really fought the wrong fight. He was down in the second round, but ultimately he was TKO'd in round 11. So Glenn Foote now 22 and three really really good win for him and Jason Easton now 11 and one but the main event here 
Josh Taylor, 11-0, took on Winston Campos. Of course, it was supposed to be Humberto Soto. We got a bit of a late replacement here. And I tell you what, Josh Taylor went into that fight like a man on a mission. It was, of course, for the WBC Silver Super Lightweight title. Ayaz, what did you make of Josh Taylor's performance? A brilliant, brilliant win, I felt. I think, um, like I said, Josh Taylor is a brilliant fight, and I think... What a win it was. I, want, I really want, to be honest, I really wanted to see the sort of because I think that would have been a brilliant fight for him. But well done to Josh Taylor, and I think he'll become a, I think in the future, I think he's going to become a world champion. Yeah, I certainly, I certainly agree with that. Josh Taylor, to me, is just a complete animal. Two knockdowns came in that second round, and he just dominated the guy from the first bell. What I like about Josh Taylor is he throws a lot of feints, so he's very hard to read. He's got so much punch variety. He's got the speed. He's got the power. He's got the size. He's got the strength. He's got it all, you know? And the third round, after knocking Campos down, Campos got back up and didn't seem like he really wanted it too much at all. Victor Lachlan waved it off. It looked a little bit premature because Campos didn't really look hurt that much but you know he just didn't seem to fancy it so it was what it was a very very good win there for Josh Taylor a third round TKO he's now 12-0 after the fight he actually called out Mikey Garcia which I thought was quite interesting and Shane and Barry McGuigan both saying he's very much ready for a world level fight now uh, moving over now to the Sheffield Arena in Yorkshire United Kingdom a couple fights on the undercard just to fly through quickly Rocky Fielding moved to 26-1. and one. It was a points win over eight rounds against Carol Horsjack. Atif Shafiq moved to 19-2. and two. It was a TKO in round five against Lee Appleyard. Appleyard was down three times. So a really big win there for Atif Shafiq. Fantastic win for the Ingle Gym. And what a great night it was for the Ingle Gym moving up the bill. Um, Kid Gala had another fighter out of the Ingle Gym. He got the knockout in round three against Irvin Berry. Irvin Berry, um, you know, he went into the fight with a record of 23 and 7 with two draws, now 23 and 8 with two draws. Kid Gala had still undefeated, now 24 and 0. I just want to say on Kid Galahad, I mean, he really, really impressed me. I think that. Um, what we should do, again, is to get the measuring stick out. Huge punch in Nicholas Walters, who everybody knows is the axe man. He can really chop people down. He needed six rounds to get rid of Irvin Berry. Kid Galahad did it in three. And it was an overhand left straight down the pipe. He hit the guy with the same shot a few seconds earlier. And it was like a one-two that got through at first that jolted the guy's head back. And then he you know, hit him with another one-two. Exactly the same punch, but a little bit more ferociousness on it. A little bit more power. And that was... Was the fight ender and like I say his opponent was he, he wasn't out cold but you know he needed to um he needed a serious amount of time and medical attention before he could get back up he couldn't get back up straight away his head landed on the bottom rope you know as he fell down to the canvas it was also Kid Galahad's birthday as well so a fantastic win for him I'm sure that you know that was like a cherry on a cake itself and you know, if there's one thing he would have wanted for, for his birthday, it would have been a world title shot. So I'm sure that Eddie Hearn can probably deliver that for him if those two guys end up linking up. But I think he's more than ready now, Kid Galahad, and he will fight anybody, I believe. Moving up the bill once again, Lemroy Thomas came over for the rematch with Dave Allen for the Commonwealth Heavyweight title. Lemroy Thomas 22-4, and Dave Allen 12-3 and with one draw. It was a technical draw at the end because Dave Allen had such a bad cut from an accidental head clash. 
in the very first round. Very, very disappointing thing here for Dave Allen. As obviously we know him well, he's been on this show many, many times. But you know the shape Dave Allen was in. He he put in so much work. He's been you know so hungry for this fight, and it's such a shame that it's fell through when he was actually in the ring. I mean, when I say it's fell through, obviously the fight went ahead, but it had to be stopped in that manner. No one would have wanted that. And I'm not quite sure what's going to happen next. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, is Eddie Hearn going to put his hand in his pocket to get Lemroy over for a third time? And let's be honest, Dave Allen, you know, even though he's the slight favourite, it's no given that he's going to win this fight, you know? Is he going to end up paying Lemroy three times to come over? I'm not quite sure. I think he's definitely gone down the pecking order. Um, you know, I don't think Dave Allen is a guy that Eddie Hearn sees as having any kind of, you know, world title aspirations on a realistic level, I don't think he's going to make it as far as to become a world champion at heavyweight, but um, I don't know what Eddie Hearn's going to do, because I know it means quite a personal thing for him, it's quite a personal kind of matter between him and Dave Allen, I know that Eddie Hearn's got a lot of time for him, but I just don't know if he's going to want to dig deep once again for Lemroy Thomas, and um, it's a shame if that does happen, because I'm hearing that Joe Joyce is trying to fight Lemroy Thomas, and I'm I'm a little bit fearful that if that fight happens, then, you know, Dave Allen won't even get the Commonwealth title. You know what I mean? So I feel I feel quite bad for Dave Allen. But, yeah, if that happens, if, if Joe Joyce does fight um, Lemroy Thomas, he would win easy. And they're saying, I mean, I've heard some whispers that it may be on the Hay Bell you undercard. And if that was to happen, that would be a right shame because I feel like Eddie Hearn would be kind of stabbing um you know, Dave Allen in the back a little bit, putting it on that show. I think if it's going to happen, it's got to happen on one of Haymaker's shows himself. You know what I mean? I don't think Eddie Hearn should get involved in bringing him over to fight somebody else. That would be quite unfair. But, um, yeah, it is what it is. A real shame for Dave Allen there. Um, Gamal Yafai on this bill as well. What a fight this was, by the way. It was probably the fight of the card here. Gamal Yafai, 14-0, took on Gavin McDonald, 18-1 with two draws. It was for the WBC International Super Bantamweight title. It was a really high-risk, low-reward fight, I felt, for Gavin McDonald. Yafai was obviously the up-and-coming, unbeaten prospect, and Gavin McDonald only lost at world level, but the puncher was supposed to be Gamal Yafai. That probably was the case, but in the 12th round, Gavin McDonald looked so close to stopping Gamal Yafai. I mean, he was so much um, better conditioned. I was so pleased for Gavin McDonald as well, because it was like a bit of a make-or-break fight for him. I think his stocks will go up with that win there, and I think that you know he was a massive underdog in the bookies, and he upset the odds nicely. Um, I think quite a few of his mates actually betted on him to win on points. Um you know, he's, he's a great guy, Gavin McDonald. Again, we had him on a few weeks ago. He really deserves this win here. But fitness played a massive part. He's such a fit guy. He really does, you know, he really does put the graft in in the gym. I know that for sure. And um, the experience played a part as well, what I will say. But yeah, Gamal Yafai is a tough, tough guy. He will come again stronger. He will learn from that, I'm sure. But it wasn't like he disgraced himself. He did he did fairly well also. But credit to both guys because I think it was a very, very risky fight, more so for Gavin McDonald. Because, you know, if he lost that fight, where would he go from there, really? But Kel Brook now in the main event, 36-2, and taking on Sergei Rabchenko, 29-2. and A knockout in two rounds for Kel Brook. It was for the vacant WBC silver super welterweight title. I'm going to go over to you firstly, Ayaz. What did you make of Kel Brook's performance here? Obviously, the first thing before this fight, I was worrying about Kel Brook's. I wanted to see how, uh, how much of the eye will affect him. But let me say something. In this fight, he proved it, that he got rid of all the demons that was in his head that 
that because obviously when since when he put the Errol Spence fight, he was worried about the eye. Now when he came to Rabchenko fight, he performed really, really good. You can see it when he was fighting at one forty seven. It was hard for him to make weight, and when he and now when he's moved up to one fifty four, you can see he was boxing very, very good. His jab was brilliant, and in the second round, it's the uppercut when he knocked out Rabchenko. Now that was a brilliant, brilliant knockout. Now they're saying that he's coming back in the ring again in June. Now they're saying he he should he may fight Jamel Charlo next. Personally, I wouldn't take the Jamel Charlo fight. I think it's a bit too early because he's he's new to the weight. Rabchenko was just a step up. I think one more fight and then I reckon he should fight Charlo. I don't think he should he should go in there and fight Charlo. But I, I well done well done to Kel Brook and I think he's a great great addition to the 154 division. But personally, I wouldn't take Charlo. I wouldn't take on Charlo in June. Yeah, it was short and sweet from Kel Brook in many ways. I mean, he was, you know, he was only three weeks away from his last win being two years previous. So it had almost been two years since his last win. Um, and that was against Kevin Bizier back in March 2016. But yeah, short right hook to the forehead slash temple of Rabchenko was the fight finisher. I still want to see at least one more fight before he fights Charlo. I think I'm with you on that one, Ayaz. Um... June might be a little bit too early for Kel Brook. Um, I mean, I'd still like him to uh, perhaps have the one fight before that, I think, just to kind of go in there with someone who's a bit more legit world level than Rabchenko. Nothing, I've got nothing against Rabchenko, but, you know, it is what it was. I think he was going to win that fight quite easy anyway. I know that they'd sparred many rounds before as well, so he certainly knew what he was going to get. Um Maybe we should ask that that question actually to the listeners. If you're listening and you want to send in your suggestion, who should Kell Brook fight in the meantime while he's waiting for, um, you know, Jamel Charlo? Perhaps a fight with Jamel Charlo could happen at some point later on in 2018. Maybe the back end, maybe October time, something like that. Who should Kell Brook fight in the meantime? Who do you think would be a good test for him? But anyways, just before we move on from this bill, I just want to say also, I forgot to kind of mention that Dave Allen, when they stopped it, from the head clash it was a bit of a shame because I think at the time I know that you can't really score a round until it's completed but I think Lemroy was certainly winning the round but you know he, he, hadn't, he hadn't really put a dent in Dave Allen but I think he was working the jab quite well he threw more he landed more but um, yeah it was a shame because they didn't even let Dave Allen finish the round there was only like I don't know how many seconds, but a few seconds left in that first round, and it would have been good to see if the corner could have worked on it and perhaps, you know, got the bleeding to stop. Um, you know, they had they had time to do that, but they didn't even give him a chance, so it was very, very disappointing there. And it's a huge blow to him. But yeah, that's it for the Sheffield Arena card. Moving out now stateside to the Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York, USA. couple fights to mention here. Uh, I'm going to start with the undercard. Gary Antoine Russell, that's the younger brother of Gary Russell, the world champion. He picked up a TKO in round two against a guy that was unbeaten called Keezan Freeman, who was 4-0. But yeah, Gary Antoine Russell is now 4-0 himself. Um, what else was on this undercard? I think there was supposed to be a fight on here with Willie Monroe Jr., if I'm not mistaken. Let me just quickly try and see if that did actually take place, because I heard it was, then I heard it wasn't. 
Um, I'm going to have to just quickly check that. Bear with me, bear with me. Um, yes, he picked up a unanimous decision win over eight rounds against Carlos Galvan. It was a shutout win for Willie Monroe Jr., so it's good to see him back to winning ways. Also on the bill, um, Sergei Derevianchenko moved to 12-0. and He made his opponent retire on his stall after six rounds. His opponent was Deshaun Johnson, whose record is now 22-23. and So it seemed like a bit of a one-way beating there for Sergei Derevianchenko. I'd like to see him stepped up, really, to be honest. Even though he's only had 12 fights now, he's, he's a great, great fighter. I want to see him in with some of the big names already. Um, also on this bill, Jose Uzcategui. Now, this was a strong... Strange, strange, strange fight. He took on Andre Durrell in the rematch, of course, for the interim IBF World Super Middleweight title. This was bizarre. Obviously, it was a rematch, like I say. Um, thankfully, Andre Durrell's uncle was nowhere to be seen. But anyway, at the end of eight rounds, Andre Durrell's corner, or Andre Durrell himself, I suppose you could say, retired on his stall. Now, this is what I saw in the fight. I mean, Durrell came out with quite a good jab in the first round, and I think that on the jabs, I probably gave him the first round. I think the second round Uzkategui landed some good power punches and that made him get the second on my card. But the third round, once again, not much in that third round until the last second of the round where it looked like Darrell's knee almost touched down from a little combination from Uzkategui. I say a little one, obviously he hits quite hard. So I think he probably scraped the third just on the you know on the last couple of seconds there, Uzkategui. And you know, Uzkategui, what was surprising me is he was slipping shots moving forward which I think is a very rare talent in boxing. I've never seen him do that, and there's not many fighters that can do that. James DeGaulle, when he was in his prime, was one that could do that, slipping shots going forward. But everything from Darrell was... It seemed to be all like, you know, pitter-patter kind of shots. Like, who's Kataguy looked the much better fighter in there, the much more meaningful um, fighter in there. And the thing about Uzkategui, he's very unorthodox. And at the end of round four, Darrell was shaking his head, and that was where... That was the first kind of inkling we got to where he was you know starting to moan he's become quite famous unfortunately for moaning all the time and in the fifth round I, f- I thought the fifth round was quite a close round it was perhaps even a 10-10 round but there was moments in that fifth for both fighters I think Darrell's jabs were quite good in the fifth I think Uzkategui's both hands really were landing you know here and there so it was quite a close round but Uzkategui kept leaning forward using his head movement to shift and you know shift left and right to avoid a lot of punches I think it was quite um, eye-catching work really even though it was defensive Darrell should have thrown uppercuts I think at that point by the way which he didn't but the 6th round again for me was a Darrell round and I thought the 7th round was a close round even though most people thought that Uzkata guy got it judging by social media and then like I say the 8th round which was the final round it was a close round so the fight in my eyes was quite a close fight and it was just a shame because he quit and I don't quite understand why I thought it was quite a close fight I think that um I don't know what my card was at the time, but there was like one or two points in it to Uzkategui with like, you know, 9th, 10th, 11th and 12th to go. It certainly wasn't like a done deal, you know, there was still time for Andre Terrell to win the fight, but I don't know what's wrong with him, it's like a mental thing or something like that, but it was what it was, and he's almost becoming the Victor Ortiz of the super middleweight division, because it's not the first time where he just all of a sudden hasn't fancied it, so a bizarre finish there, but rightly so, I, I really am happy now that Uzkategui has kind of closed the, the book on that chapter there with Andre Terrell, it seemed to be lots and lots of messing around, and you know, the first fight ended very controversially, the second fight 
that there was no controversial stuff at all. It was it was very much a, a good win there for Uzkategai. He's made the guy quit. He's now 27-2. and two. And Andre Durrell, once again, I don't know where he goes from here. He's now 26-3. and three. Back to the drawing board for him. Perhaps even retirement, to be honest. And the main event here, Deontay Wilder, 39-0 and with 38 knockouts. Took on Luis Ortiz, 28-0 and with 24 knockouts. The TKO came in round 10 for Deontay Wilder very late and way later than most people thought. It was for the WBC World Heavyweight title. Ortiz was down once in the fifth round and twice in the tenth and final round here. Firstly, Iaz, before I get into it, please take it away. What a great fight it was, by the way. Oh, what a great fight it was. Um, well done to Deontay Wilder for winning the fight. Finally, he's fought a decent opponent, which is Luis Ortiz. What can I say? Well, Deontay Wilder, um, he's a good fight, he is. He did very good. Luis Ortiz did trouble him in the seventh round. The way Luis Ortiz, uh, the way Deontay Wilder fight, he swings a lot. What is he's one of those people that he's like a one out one punch knockout artist. And obviously in the tenth round we saw him knock out Luis Ortiz. But if he doesn't fight Joshua, who does he fight next? That's what I really want to know. To be honest, I fight. I want to see it's him and Dillian White. I think it'd be a very good fight. Um, I think he should fight Dillian White um, next, and I think Joshua should fight Jared Miller. Should he beat jo- Joseph Parker, and then the winner fights in the unification. But I don't think, I don't, I'm not quite sure who Deontay Wilder is going to fight next. But I want to see that next. Yeah, I mean, I think that Luis Ortiz, you know, he was very measured from the very, very beginning. I think everything he did was very calculated. It was a very measured start from Ortiz. He definitely, definitely got the first round. Um, some people were, were scoring it a bit wildly, I thought. I mean, Wilder just seemed to be tapping Ortiz's gloves with his jab sometimes. It's like he wasn't even trying to connect with Ortiz's body or face or anything. And, um, you know, he let the the right hand go once, and I think it came close. I think this was this was like the first or second round. It came close because he just wasn't throwing the right in the early rounds. He let it go once. It came close, but it missed. And Ortiz seemed to be really, really making Wilder think in there. Which again, I don't know how how deep he's thinking really goes because I don't think Wilder's got the best boxing brain. But um, yeah, Wilder's stance once again looks really weird when it, you know when it, with those big wide legs and you know. When I say wide, I'm not talking about the, how how wide his actual legs are. I mean how wide they, you know, how far apart they are when he stands off. And um, you know, he had the low guard as well. The second round, I definitely gave to Ortiz. I think that Wilder just, you know, he was being pushed on the back foot, and on the back foot, Wilder cannot fight on the back foot at all. He looks so bad when he tries to do it. He loses every round when he tries to do it, and it doesn't have to be Lewis Ortiz against him. It can be Gerald Washington. It can be Arthur Spilker. He cannot fight off the back foot. And the third round, barely anybody landed a punch, even a jab. Like, literally, nobody landed anything, but I had to give it to Ortiz once again. I mean, he was... He was um, not doing much, to be honest, but no one really overcommitted like the pair of them. I think it was quite a slow-paced fight as well at that stage, and that's when I was thinking to myself that Luis Ortiz is probably happy with the pace of the fight because, obviously, he's the older guy. We're not quite sure how many years older he is, but he's the older guy on paper and you know, physically, you can see that with with your own eyes. He's certainly the older guy. And as the fight would go on, you'd imagine he'd probably tire sooner than Wilder. So I think the pace of the fight... He probably could have done 15 rounds with the early pace of the fight because it was really slow. It was kind of suiting Ortiz. And I think that after four rounds, I had Ortiz winning every single round. Um, Again, some people don't agree with that. But yeah, 
you know, Wilder's freakish power came out of nowhere. He seemed to catch Ortiz square on. Ortiz went down, of of course, for a 10-8 round. Um, I think at that stage, that was in the fifth round. So that meant on my card, it was 48-46 after five rounds in favor of Ortiz. Um, I wasn't quite sure if the fight would go on for much longer after that. But perhaps Ortiz got saved by the bell as well. Because you know what I mean? He was given a count and then the round ended and Deontay didn't even have time to run over there and throw anything. He was literally saved by the bell. But Ortiz has got a great poker face and, you know, he acts like he's not hurt and you just don't know. He's got a great, great, great poker face. Um, you know, in, in round six, it was starting to really heat up. The pace got picked up for sure. Both men were landing good shots, but I felt that Wilder probably got the better shots off in that round. So again, he closed the gap. Um, I think it was 57, 56. I had it after six rounds in favor of Ortiz. And then round seven, I mean, Jesus Christ, there was even, you know, there was even grounds to make it a 10-8 round. I know that Adam Smith on Sky Sports commentary certainly made um, a case for that. I mean, it was it was such a big round for Luis Ortiz, especially in the second half of the round. I mean, um, you know, he caught... Deontay Wilder with a short right hook counterpunch and Wilder literally had nothing. The referee could have stopped it at a few different points. Um, you know, he was absolutely gone. Ortiz was swarming him. But the thing is, Ortiz was swarming him, but it was clever. He was he was applying clever pressure. He wasn't over committing. He wasn't going wild. He was still putting the pressure on, but it was very, very clever, very, very composed stuff from Ortiz. And, um, you know, I just couldn't believe that Wilder didn't go down. That's the only thing I will say. I actually give him credit for not going down because he was in so much trouble. And I think the next round after that, Ortiz won that round. It was a couple of good shots that he landed that really kind of did it for me. And um, for me as well, I think that Wilder definitely shown us he's got quite a good chin, whereas he's been knocked for having a bad chin before for, you know, all these old amateur fights and, you know, the, the sparring rumours that we hear. But he actually shown quite a good chin to us there. And like I say, if you gave Ortiz a 10-8 round, then that would mean, because he definitely did win the next round after that, 10-9, that would mean that the scores would be 77-73 in favour of Ortiz, providing you scored it like Adam Smith did or like... Like I did so effectively he was four points up with just four rounds to go so it was you know Wilder needed a knockout um you know otherwise it'd be a draw if he won every single round otherwise if he lost one of the f- next four rounds which he probably would have then you know he'd have he'd have lost the fight but I wasn't too sure about giving it a 10-8 because it was a good good round but I, I'm not massive on doing 10-8 rounds unless there's a knockdown or a point took off obviously but I think Wilder did unbelievably well to not go down like I say um I think probably a 10-9 but yeah three points would have would have been in it at that point with four points to go meaning four rounds to go three points I hope I'm not confusing no one but yeah there was three points in it at that point and we were going into the ninth round, so there was 9, 10, 11, and 12. That's if you didn't give it a 10-8. Um, I think Wilder probably just pinched the ninth round in the last 20 seconds as well. So, again, that put him two or three points behind Ortiz with three rounds to go. And then, of course, in that tenth round, he really needed to win these rounds, and he certainly won that round. I mean, that was the end of it. You know, two knockdowns in the tenth. And once again, we've seen Wilder's punching power just get him through these fights again. I mean, Ortiz was absolutely gone. I, I really can't believe he got up from the first knockdown, and he just didn't have anything left. I mean, he really emptied the you know the gasket. Even though I say he was applying smart pressure when he had Wilder in trouble, he did go for it. He did put his foot on the gas, and it was late in the fight as well. You know what I mean? So... Um, yeah, he didn't have too much left, especially as the rounds progressed. And, 
he was just completely exhausted. He had nothing left in him, and we really don't know how old he is. But yeah, um, Wilder, you know, he's all he is is he's just incredibly fit, and he's got the power. So he's very dangerous for that reason. But sometimes I do kind of think that he makes a bit of a mockery of the sport because he's just technically terrible. Um, we've seen him getting beat by Spilka. We've seen him getting schooled by Gerald Washington. You know, and these guys, you wouldn't say are world-level guys. So, you know, once again, against Luis Ortiz here, Luis Ortiz was getting to him. It's certainly on my card. Luis Ortiz was handily leading. But, of course, on the judges' cards, three judges, all three judges had Wilder up by a round at the point of the stoppage. I don't know if you scored the fight, but that that's, that is absolutely shocking to know that. I mean, gee, how, how could anyone have had Wilder up by one round at that point? It wasn't even close, in my opinion. Especially not to give it to Wilder. I mean, gee, I mean, Ayers, what did you did you know that, or am I telling you that for the first time? That was crazy. No, you're actually telling me that for the first time by a while. I can see. I did. I did. Um, a lot of people did have Wilder uh, Ortiz up, but then again, the, in most fights have been that against against like that against Wilder. But then Wilder gets the knockout. Yeah, I know. I mean, like I say, he was definitely leading Ortiz. And I, I, I know that Johnny Nelson made quite a deal of it. But when we found out that at the time of the stoppage, Wilder was leading by by one point. I mean, that was shocking. That was really, really bad. I couldn't believe it. That was criminal. Criminal judging there. So it seems like he was going to get robbed on the cards anyway, poor Ortiz. So I'm gutted for him. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a real shame because, like I say, he's waited such a long time to get the shot and then that happens. But, yeah, look, there's no complaints with how Wilder won. He, you know, he's got the power and at the end of the day, it's a 12-round fight, not a six-round fight or a three-round fight. Otherwise, Ortiz would have absolutely walked it. But, you know, he, he just he just gets lucky, doesn't he? He's the luckiest man in boxing. He's just got that fight-finishing power. One shot is all it takes and that's it. And he always seems to find it. So, yeah, if he fights anybody, and I'm talking about, like, who would you put him in there with, Ayers, who you'd say would outbox him? Not like, I'm not saying they would beat him, but they'd comfortably be outboxing him until he lands that shot, or, you know, would probably beat him if he didn't land that shot. Joshua, 100%, I'd favour over Wilder massively after that. Because when I saw that, he looked so bad. Once again, every time he fights, I, I, I see how bad he really is. Two people, I'll, I'll, I reckon I'll box him up. Tyson Fury and Dillian. Oh. Yeah, but Joshua's in there as well, yeah? Yes, so I'll put Joshua, but I think for me it has to be Dillian White and Tyson Fury. I mean, there's even arguments, and and honestly, I, I don't know. I don't want to go overboard here, but I even think that, um, you know, I'd like to see him and Dominic Brazil. I think that would be quite a good fight, because Brazil can certainly take a big beating. We saw that against Joshua. I think that would be a good fight. I think Brazil would be outboxing him. And also, even I'd like, I'd even like to see him take on someone like like Pulev. I think Pulev would would really be troubling him with the jab and stuff like that, you know. So, damn, I mean, he's got to be careful who he fights. He needs to keep hold of that belt, you know, to get the big money fight with Joshua. Because literally every single fight I've seen him in, and I'm looking at his last few fights, Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz, but Mainstavern, that was terrible. But Mainstavern, I'm going to leave that one out. But you know, Gerald Washington, Arthur Spilker, these guys. Those three that I mentioned there, they were comfortably beating him at the point of the knockout. You know what I mean? So, um, and you know, let's be honest. Arthur Spilker, what would Joshua do to him? Um, Gerald Washington, what would Joshua do to him? Luis Ortiz, fair enough. He's a danger man, you know. But this is crazy, man. I mean, 
oh boy, oh boy, there's so much wrong with Deontay Wilder. He's just literally an accident waiting to happen. He's 40 and 0 now. It's unbelievable with 39 knockouts. But yeah, he certainly should be getting more credit from the, you know, from from the like American fans and stuff like that because he's got everything, hasn't he? You know, he's got the good looks, he's got all the tattoos, he's got a chiseled body, he's got that power, he's got the um you know the, the he's got great marketability. You know he's 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 got a, you know a great persona. He's got a great attitude. The way he is, he's kind of flashy. He's funny. He's started to do these 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 rhymes now as well. You know what I mean? He's he's very colourful, very charismatic. So um, yeah, I'd like to see him really get some more credit from some of the other sports fans and stuff like that. But that's it for the Brooklyn card. Moving over now to another part of New York. We're going to mention the Madison Square Garden card in the theatre. That's the theatre in Madison Square Garden. few fights to mention over here. Firstly, heavyweight prospect Cassius Cheney moved to 12-0. and 0. It was a KO in round two against Tim Washington, who was 6-5 and five going in. Uh, also on this bill, the brother of Devon Alexander, Vaughn Alexander. He moved to 12-0, and 0, a unanimous decision against Devon Lee over 10 rounds. Um, he's now 12-0. and 0. Uh, Also on this build, Dimitri Bivol, 12-0, took on Sullivan Barrera, 21-1. It was a TKO in the 12th and final round for Dimitri Bivol. He now becomes the second man to beat Sullivan Barrera, and he also does something that the great Andre Ward couldn't do. He got the stoppage, and of course he defended successfully his WBA World Light Heavyweight title. Now this fight here... I felt that the the first round, it was very cagey, very cautious work from both men. I think that Bivol landed a really good combination at the end of the first round. And the second round, Bivol was cut by his right eye. It was unclear to really see on the replay. I think that they were saying it was a head clash. I wasn't too sure. But the second round, certainly Bivol really won that round. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't massive, but he certainly landed the better shots. Um, it was a really good round though, and and you know the cut seemed to kind of wake Bivol up a little bit. Since the cut happened, he was really focused. I think that Barrera showed a great defense. I'm talking American now. He showed a great defense for like the first time um, in in a few of his recent fights. Like I say, he'd been down quite a few times, hadn't he? But yeah, Bivol was was struggling to get through Barrera's guard in the early part of the fight. Even though he was winning the rounds, he was struggling to break him up properly, which was quite surprising. Uh, I think he picks his shots really well, Bivol. So that's what was quite surprising. He couldn't really get through with some of the big ones. Um, the third round, Bivol won that round. In the fourth round, Bivol landed a great left hook that had Sullivan Barrera in trouble for a few seconds while Bivol was letting his hands go. In the fifth round, Bivol went looking for Barrera in that round. Really hard punches and quick punches. But again, none of those rounds so far were like huge rounds. Even though he was winning everything, they were still quite competitive. I don't want to be too harsh on Sullivan Barrera. They were all relatively close, but you definitely have to edge it to Bivol. Um, there wasn't too much variety from Bivol, I felt. I think that some people are kind of overhyping this win. I think that everything he throws, um, most of the time anyways, to the head. Like, pretty much all of his shots were straight shots as well, like in the first half of the fight. Um, the seventh round, quite a big round for Bivol. I think he demonstrated some great in-and-out boxing, landing his shots and stepping out of range, then jumping back into range, landing a few more. All of that while avoiding Barrera's punches as well. Um, he showed some great footwork, Bivol, which I haven't really seen much of from him before. I think that Barrera didn't really have much success to the head at all the whole night. Literally got through with like a few shots here and there, but he was he was mainly getting through to the body of Bivol a few times, but nothing really troubled Bivol. I think that um, 
Barrera was simply second best, really, to everything. But yeah, both men had only gone 12 rounds once before. Barrera seemed to tire a little bit over the stretch. You can't really blame him. I think in the later rounds, Bivol developed a big bulge near his temple. It was quite a grotesque kind of swelling there. But thankfully for him, you know, it came in the late part of the fight. Um, very, very calm corner work from Bivol's team as well. I noticed they were very, very calm, and, you know, Bivol himself was remaining calm in between rounds. But, yeah, the stoppage came in the 12th round for Bivol. It was a 1-2 combination. Barrera barely beat the count, but Harvey Dock waved it off because, you know, Barrera was extremely unsteady on his feet. But, yeah, I feel bad for Barrera because, you know, it's the fourth time he's been dropped in his last five fights, and it was looking like he would survive the distance without being dropped. And Bivol was supposed to be this, you know, this huge puncher, but unfortunately, like I said last week, Bivol probably, if he was going to knock Barrera down, he'd probably have enough power to keep him on the ground, which he certainly did here. Well, even though, you know, Barrera got up kind of thing, you know, he couldn't carry on, so you get my point, but yeah, dominant performance by Bivol looking at it after the whole fight, I mean, he's certainly the real deal, you know, Barrera's going to keep coming, I'm sure, because he's a tough, tough contender no matter what, but yeah, I think Bivol showed he's the real deal, he put on a bit of a clinic, when I say that he wasn't getting through with some of his early, you know, his early stuff, um, and he came on really strong in the later part of the fight, at no point was Barrera able to land clean stuff on Bivol as well. So when I say, you know, he did put on quite a clinic, it wasn't just offensively, but also defensively as well. He really showed a lot. So I'm really, really impressed with Bivol. But yeah, the main event now, Sergei Kovalev, 31-2 and two with one draw, took on Igor McCorkin, 21-1. and one. Both men, of course, um, Russian fighters. This one was for the Eurasian Boxing Parliament light heavyweight title, which I haven't seen before, and also the WBO World Light Heavyweight title. Um, to be honest, I mean, I didn't really realise until the fight actually was happening that McCorkin was a southpaw. I didn't know too much about him, but the last time Kovalev fought a southpaw was back in um, 2014 when he took on Blake Caparello from Australia, and Kovalev won the fight in two rounds, but he got put down himself in the first round. Um, but yeah, Kovalev, you know, he threw he threw every shot with intent very early. Like, every shot he threw, it was with huge intent. Lots and lots of power behind every shot. He didn't really respect McCorkin's power, and he basically walked through him. I think he got a little bit too eager in the third. He took a few decent shots himself, including overhand right from McCorkin. But McCorkin was a tough cookie, definitely. Showed his toughness, but he didn't really have the power. And McCorkin was happy to stand and trade with Kovalev, which I thought was quite surprising also. He's got a lot of balls, but yeah, Kovalev left himself open quite a lot. You know, in the end, he took quite a lot of shots, like I say, but nothing really bothered him. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to wonder if McCorkin was was a much bigger puncher than what he was, what would have happened? But then again, on the same, on the same stroke, if you like, Kovalev probably wouldn't have been as open if he was fighting somebody else with a bigger punch, like you know, perhaps a Donny Stevenson, somebody like that. But yeah, there was a bad cut on McCorkin's nose, and just under his right eye, there was a bad cut as well. I think it was. I think both cuts were were calls literally like simultaneously, like one after the other in about two seconds. I think the the main damaging shot was a huge left hook from Kovalev in that sixth round. But yeah, in the seventh round, Kovalev continued to beat McCorkin up. And with about 30 seconds to go in the seventh round, referee Steve Willis decided to stop the fight because of the uncontrollable bleeding from McCorkin's eye. But yeah, very fast-paced fight, I felt. Not really super impressed with Kovalev, though. I think... um, I was expecting him to to get his man out of there earlier than the seventh round. And also, I had a bet going on as well that he'd get him out before six rounds. And I was going to earn quite big, but he actually got him out after seven. So, 
I was a little bit annoyed with Kovalev. <laughs> but yeah, that's it for the reviewing. Sorry that it's dragged on so much. It's now time, just before we wrap up part one, to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated WBO featherweight champion of the world, Mr. Oscar Valdez. Oscar, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Hey, it's always my pleasure, my friend. So, Oscar, we last spoke back in November. A few weeks before that, you had defended your title. But at the time when we spoke, we weren't too sure what was going to be happening next for you. I did ask you about your opinion on the British featherweights. And you said that if you could choose out of all of the British guys, you'd like to fight Lee Selby most because he's got a title. And maybe after Lee Selby, you'd, you'd, you'd perhaps take on Carl Frampton. However, it's none of those two. It's going to be Scott Quigg. So tell us, Oscar... How and when did this fight come around? And obviously, it's a voluntary defense, this one, right? Well, I got the news uh, at the be- uh, beginning of this year. You know, uh, it, was, uh, it, was a great, it was great news because uh, he's a tough fighter. He's a great na- he has a great name. He has a, uh, a lot of fans behind him. And uh, just pretty much a, g- a great fighter. So uh, I know it's going to be a tough fight, but uh, we'll, we'll be more than prepared uh, to put up a good show this uh, March 10th. And, of course, the fight will take place at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Oscar, what do you know about Scott Quigg, a man that obviously, you know, he left the UK, he moved his home to the United States to train under Freddie Roach out of the wildcard boxing gym. Obviously, myself and most of our listeners on this show, we know Scott Quigg very well, as you'd imagine, and his record currently stands at 34-1 and with two draws, that one loss, a decision loss to Carl Frampton. Yeah, I know him very well. You know, I've seen him fight before. And also, uh, we have got the chance to spar him already. Uh, ah. Went to Freddie Rose's gym and we sparred. And that's one of the reasons why I know he's a tough fighter. You know, we went in there and uh, he went toe to toe. And I've um, got nothing to say but with good, but good words to, to, to Scott Quay. He's a tough fighter. Hits hard. He has good foot, footwork. And just uh, overall, just a, a complete fighter. You know, uh, I'm not taking this fight nothing lately. Uh, training extra hard because I know he's a tough fighter. So I think this is a fight that uh, the fans are going to like because of Scott Quiggs and my style. This is going to be a perfect fight to uh, to put up a, a good show. Now, I'm not going to ask you how the sparring went. That would be a, bit, a little bit disrespectful. I'm not going to say if you got the better of it or whatever, but going on the sparring... Um, and the competitiveness of the sparring. Are you saying that if the fight is something like the sparring, that all the fans are in for a great fight? Oh, yeah, definitely. If it's something what we did on the sparring, we went toe-to-toe, uh, I'm pretty sure the fans are going to like it because that's what the fans like to see. They like to see a good fight. They don't like to, they don't like to see uh, a style just pretty much just running. You know, Scott Quigg, uh, he proved he's a warrior inside the ring. I've seen him fight before. And uh, like I said, his style and my style is going to be a perfect, perfect uh, style for for the fans to watch. So uh, tune in and, and, and expect expect to see fireworks this that, that night. And was this the fight that you wanted most, or were there other people unavailable? Because I know that right now all the other champions at featherweight have all got fights scheduled in the coming weeks or months. So was this the fight that you wanted, or was it really because all the other guys were busy? Because I know you want a unification fight as soon as possible. No, to be honest, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't deny no fight. You know, I mean, if I got the chance to fight uh, Scott Quigg or if it was Lee Selby or Frampton, either one of those guys, I'm more than happy to take the fights. And um, just getting the news that it's, it's one of them, which is Scott Quigg, I got exci- excited. So um, 
it's not gonna be an easy fight. I know that. So uh, these are the big names we've been we've been looking for, and you know I got, I got a tough fight in front of me. So you know taking like I said, taking this fight very seriously, and just taking uh, fight by fight, day by day. And I remember last time we spoke, you you told me that you wanted to be fighting three times a year. Obviously, this fight's happening here, March the tenth, Saturday. Um, providing all goes well for you in this fight against Scott Quigg, is March early enough for you to still be on course to have three fights in twenty eighteen? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, like I said, I like to stay active. Obviously, I always visualize myself coming out victorious. That's always my mind. Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm win that night, and you know, and just try to keep on advancing. That's my mentality. You know, I've always had it, and then um, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to it. You know, if everything goes well, you know, we'll see. We'll see what 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 is my next fight. But hopefully, we can get three more. Uh, we can get three fights this year, and just keep on improving. I mean, like I said, my dream is to become one of the best fighters in the world, considered as one of the best international wise. And for that to happen, I got to fight the best. And right now, the, the best is considered Scott Quigg. So let's get it on with Scott Quigg. And then, um, after that, we'll just keep on advancing. But like I said, I'm taking it day by day, fight by fight, and just um, just being smart in there. And I want to get your opinion on a couple of other fights that are happening in your division. Uh, it's been announced that that uh, Carl Frampton will take on Nonito Donaire in April. Have you got any kind of opinion on that one? Who you think will win that fight? Well, I think uh, I think it's going to be a good fight. You know, a lot of people might give uh, Donaire. They might underestimate Donaire because they might say he's old and he's uh, finishing the sport of boxing, which I think the contrary. You know, I think I think Donaire is still a tough fighter. He's uh he has a veteran in there. He's fast. He he's, he got that power in him. So I wouldn't I wouldn't uh I wouldn't be surprised if, if Donaire wins. But on the other hand, you know, if you got Frampton, the tough fighter, strong, he could also box. So um you know that, that fight is a pretty even fight. You know uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't put all my money on on Frampton because uh I think Donaire still has a lot in him. So yeah. uh, it's it's an even fight. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And also, Leo Santa Cruz versus Abnamares, the rematch, obviously, a big Mexican fight there. Who wins that one? It's going to be happening in June. Yeah, I think it's also going to be a good fight because uh, most, of, <clears throat> most of them styles was a fan piece of style. You know, they both went at it last, last fight. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to take because I think Abnamares did the wrong fight when, when he fought uh, Leo Santa Cruz. Maybe if he, if he changed up his style a little bit, tried to box more, maybe he has a chance to be uh Santa Cruz this time and, you know it could be a could turn out to be a uh a trilogy for them so uh you know just wishing both of the best you know let the best man win and coming down to the last couple of questions now Oscar when we last spoke when I posted the interview online some people were saying to me how did how did you not ask Oscar about his crazy pets I heard that you had a pet alligator <laughs> is this true uh, this is this is true yes what how, how, I don't know where to start. How? Why? What? <laughs> well, it all started when I was a kid, and you know, I would uh, turn on the TV, and you would have the the crocodile hunter Steve Irwin. <laughs> so just had a. I've always, ever since I was a kid, I've, I've had a passion for animals. Uh, one particular, uh, a crocodile, an alligator, and uh, never did I thought when I was a kid I would, I would actually have, have the chance to to own one. But yeah, you know, growing up. Uh, uh, I got the chance, you know, walking in the streets of, of Mexico and uh, found a spot where they sell, actually sell one. It was the size of a lizard at the time, in 2008. 
and that's where it all started. Bought it from right there, and now it's started. It, it, it would fit in the palm of my hand. Now it's bigger than me if I lay down. Wow, wow! So you've still got the alligator, then, yeah? Oh yes, definitely. What, what does he eat, Oscar? Is it a he? Is it well, a she? At first, at first you started eating little fishes, then years later you started eating little rats. Then from rats you went from hamsters. Then from hamsters is away from chicken. So now we feed him chicken. And um, to be honest, now he pretty much eats on his own because uh, I have him in my ranch back in Mexico, and it's a little pond. So apparently a lot, a lot of birds don't see him when he's at the pond. He go, the birds go down and drink water, and he just feeds off them. So it's a the animal that's very cheap to to have because he eats on his own. Wow, that is incredible. What's his name, by the way? The name is Steve because of uh, my you know, uh, I admired a lot. Well, it was my my. One of my idols growing up was Steve Irwin, so you know, Steve Irwin had just passed away at the time, and I the named him after him, Steve Irwin. Excellent, excellent. Well, shout out to Steve, the crocodile, for me. <laughs> and finally, just before I let you go, Oscar, I just want to ask you your prediction for this fight against Scott Quigg Saturday. Um, you don't have to give us one if you don't want to, but how do you see your arm being raised? I always, uh, it doesn't matter if it's a knockout, it doesn't matter if it's a decision. I visualize myself with my hands up, coming victorious but one thing for sure i've always said this and uh, i would never promise anybody a knockout what i will promise everybody is to give my best my best for inside the ring and try to put, to put up a good fight so everybody can expect fireworks that night uh march 10th absolutely i always expect fireworks from you my friend but listen it's always a pleasure speaking with you thank you for your time best of luck for saturday and we'll catch up again soon no problem man you know anytime Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, as always, the news part. Ayaz, please bring us in the latest news, my friend. Josh Kelly um, will fight Carlos Molina on, on the undercard of Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker. Yeah, of course, at the end of the month, March 31st in Cardiff, former world champion at 154, Carlos Molina. A man that, if I'm not mistaken, I think he prefers to fight at 147. I don't think he was ever really like a big 154 fighter. I think he didn't really like fighting there, but he did actually end up winning a world title. Of course, he's got a bit of a story behind him as well. I think he got deported back to Mexico, um, you know, after living in the U.S. for literally all his life, so um, or basically all his life. But yeah, we had him on the show quite a while back, and funny enough, now he's taking on Josh Kelly. I will say now, I'm going to let the listeners know that I've reached out to Carlos Molina about coming on the show at the same time as Josh Kelly. So I'd like to get them both on in some kind of like virtual face-to-face, head-to-head kind of thing. Because obviously Sky aren't going to do it because the fight's not that big. Um, But yeah, I'm going to try to get them both on. Carlos Molina's the only guy that's got back to me thus far. He said he's up for that. So I've got to let him know when and hopefully Josh Kelly is up for that as well. But yeah, it's going to be at 147, which I think Molina will probably like. And from what he said to me, he's very much up for that fight. But it's going to be a huge test for Josh Kelly in you know just a handful of fights so yeah I admire the step up he's turning out to be a great bill that one Jamie McDonald would defend his WBA world bantamweight title against Naya Inouye on May 25th in Japan 
Yeah, um, Inoue is coming up in weight, obviously. I mean, he's he's ranked, if I'm not mistaken, in a lot of people's pound-for-pound lists. Um, I think he may even be in the ring's pound-for-pound list. So he's certainly, you know, a bit of a killer. He's also a big puncher. I mean, it's, he's obviously coming up in weight, and Jamie's a huge bantamweight. But um, the stories are that Jamie really, tr- really, really struggles to make that weight. So I don't know if this is like a big money fight that he's just going to try and take, you know, like a little bit of a cash-out stuff kind of fight but yeah he's a massive underdog but I tell you what I was speaking to someone yesterday about this fight and they said to me I would never write Jamie McDonnell off in any fight and I second that to be honest I mean he's proven a lot of people wrong many many times I think Jamie McDonnell is a very underrated boxer like I've said many many times so we're certainly behind him and we hope he can go out there to Japan and do the business Tony Yoko has been suspended for anti-doping violation Yeah, um, there's been some reports out of France that he's apparently missed three drug tests. I think they've tried to test him and for whatever reason he's he's not took these tests so because of that they've decided to give him a one-year ban now so it's, it's a real shame because um you know if he has been doping then it's obviously really bad because he just won a gold medal in 2016 in the olympics in rio so um a very controversial one by the way over our man joe Juice. so um yeah you know they were talking about perhaps you know having a rematch in the pros well yeah, he's going to be out for a year here, so it's a real um, halt, if you like. It's thrown a bit of a spanner in the works of his progression into the pro ranks. But listen, if he's been, you know, if he's been doping, then he deserves it, doesn't he? So, yeah, I'd like to see some more clarification on that situation, but it doesn't really look good for Tony Yoka, to be honest. Saul Canelo Alvarez has returned a positive sample for trace level of Glenn Buturo. Yeah, clenbuterol, that's the stuff that um, Lucas Brown had traces of in his system. Um, we know what happened with Lucas Brown. You know, he was stripped of the uh, of, of the heavyweight world title. But, um, yeah, I mean, Canelo said that it was some contaminated meat, which we've heard many, many times now from some Mexican fighters. It seems like that's an excuse that gets them out of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong. Um there's no real way, I suppose, of telling, you know, how this stuff entered his system, whether he really did eat some some contaminated meat or not. We're never going to probably know. And it's such a shame because he's one of the biggest names in boxing. And um, it's kind of crazy that the fight's still going ahead with, with you know, with Gennady Golovkin. I don't quite know how long this stuff is going to remain in his system for or how long it's been in his system or whatever it is. But, you know, surely that stuff should not be in his system come fight night on May 5th because that would be, you know, really, really unfair. But, you know, Golovkin's, he's just up for, for having the fight. He probably doesn't even care. He's a true, true fighter, unlike many guys. Um, you know, they'd, they'd probably pull out of this fight. And he's probably a bit crazy, to be honest, not to. But, yeah, I'd like to see the situation cleaned up because Canelo's a great fighter. But, um, you know, this is very, very stupid if he's done this on purpose. Uh, Kazakhstan Olympic gold medalist Dania Yelisanova has signed with Matchroom Boxing. Yeah, there was a press conference, I believe, in Kazakhstan at something crazy like 5 in the morning UK time a couple of days back. So, um, yeah, he's the guy that won the uh, the the gold medal in Rio in, in the welterweight division, if I'm not mistaken. He's just turned pro now, so he's going to be, you know, fighting on, on Eddie Hearn's shows. Obviously, being from Kazakhstan, there's probably not too much money going around, I'd imagine, unless you, you know, hooked up with some kind of Russian promoter, but... 
obviously Eddie Hearn's doing some great, great things, especially in Europe. He's certainly the number one promoter, you'd have to say, in Europe. So um, the guy's probably made a right move going with him. And it'd be interesting what Eddie Hearn does, because he's very good at building brands. And, you know, this guy's obviously not a household name or anything like that. And he, he probably doesn't speak English. So it'd be interesting to see what he does with him. But, yeah, he's a guy that beat Josh Taylor in the amateurs. And he also was the guy that... Um, you know, that knocked um, Josh Kelly out of the Olympics in the first round. He didn't knock him out, like, knock him out in the fight. I think the fight went to, I mean, it went the distance. It went three rounds, but he was the guy that, you know, got Josh Kelly knocked out of the Olympics in the first fight. So, yeah, I think it was the first fight. It might have been the second fight. So, yeah, this guy is certainly the real deal. I think he dominated Josh Kelly. So, um, yeah, very, very good signing for Eddie Hearn. Adrian Broner versus Omar Figueroa has, has been collapsed. And therefore, Broner will fight Jesse Vargas. Yeah, that fight is set to happen. I think it's on April 21st, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, I feel really bad for Omar Figueroa. We, again, we had him on the show, I think it was um, a couple weeks ago now. And obviously, he's had to pull out with an injury. And um, he was very confident. He said to me he was going to stop Adrian Broner within six rounds. And he's, he's absolutely devastated with... This injury, he's been plagued with injuries before, Omar Figueroa, but this is a seriously big fight, or this would have been a seriously big fight for him, and it was, you know, it was one that he had to pull out of due to the uh, the seriousness of the injury, so hopefully, he was saying that hopefully he doesn't need to undergo any surgery for it, I think there, you know, he's had a few tests and stuff like that, so hopefully it's going to heal without needing any any surgery, but yeah, the replacement opponent is Jesse Vargas, the former WBO welterweight champion, the man that lost to uh, to Manny Pacquiao, and I think he's also the only man to have defeated Saddam Ali, so uh, yeah, he's quite a good fighter, Jesse Vargas, it's a good replacement, but I think that Adrian Broner probably has an easier time with Vargas than he would have with Omar Figueroa for me, so um, yeah, it's a good replacement, but yeah, it's still going to be a decent fight, I suppose. Bradley Skeet's fight has been pushed back to April. Yeah, Bradley Skeet against Kerman Lajaraga from Spain. That fight, um, I think we may have even said this the other week, but if we didn't, um, yeah, I think it's been pushed back to April 28th, so it's about uh, about four weeks and maybe five weeks. I think it's five weeks that it's been pushed back, actually, yeah. So um, it's not too bad, I suppose, but he's had some rotten luck, Bradley Skeet, with all the pullouts and people not wanting to fight him and all this stuff. It's been quite frustrating, so I, you know, I hope he can keep his... Is is you know his head on the game if you like and stay stay focused so so to speak and um, I'm sure he will he's a, he's a real good professional and um, yeah do the business in Spain and come back with a European title so yeah he's uh, it's a bit annoying for him but I'm sure I'm sure it's not going to bother him too much he's been through this thing time and time again before and finally Scotty Cardo will fight Louis Ritson on the undercard of Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker. Yes, Lewis Ritson, of course, fought, um, I think it was, um, it wasn't last weekend, just gone, it was a weekend before, he got a knockout in the first round against Joe Murray in his first defence of his British lightweight title, and he's going to be taking on Scott Cardle, the former holder of the belt, in his second defence, and I tell you what, if Lewis Ritson can beat Scotty Cardle in good fashion, then that is a huge, huge statement, but yeah, Scotty Cardle really, really wants his fight, he's certainly very, very up for it. And um, it's, it's going to be a great fight. This guy, Lewis Ritson, you know, from the Northwest, he's, he's a great, great talent. Um, like I say, he's not a flash kid. He, you know, he, he puts the graft in in the gym. And um, he's a true hard-working guy. He's a young guy as well. So, 
you know, he's if he gets a second defence here, successful one, then he's just got to have that one more fight. I think Eddie Hearn just wants to kind of push him through these defences as quick as possible so he can move on because he is really, really good. I'm really, really liking the look of Lewis Ritson. So, yeah, another great fight for that bill, you know, along with the one that we mentioned earlier, Josh Kelly and, and Carlos Molina. It's going to be, um, hopefully, everybody feels that they're getting the bang for their buck, if you like, as they say. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that bill as a whole. Is that it for the news, Ayers, yeah? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you, Ayers. Right, moving over now to the previewing. Going to try to go through this as quick as possible. Moving over to the Grand Casino in Hinkley, Minnesota, USA. One fight to mention over here. Um, returning to the ring, I think he may have had one fight since losing to Jurgen Bremer, but it was the guy that was, um, you know, part of the super middleweight world boxing super series tournament, the only entrant from the United States, Rob Brandt. He's in here against a guy called Colby Coulter, who's 12 and 11, but Rob Brandt's 22 and 1. You'd imagine that. That should be quite an easy win there for Rob Brent. That's an eight-rounder there. Moving over now to the Parks Casino in Pennsylvania, USA. One fight to mention over here. John Joe Nevin. He looks to move to 10-0. and 0. It's an eight-rounder against Alex Torres, who is 6-0. So somebody's O's got to go there. That's an eight-rounder. Uh... Moving over now to the Deadwood Mountain Grand in South Dakota, USA. Again, a really strange place to have this fight. Regis Progre, 20-0, takes on Julius Indongo, 22-1, former world champion. This one's for the interim WBC World Super Lightweight title. This card, by the way, has been picked up by Box Nation. It's going to be happening tomorrow night. Um, I'm looking forward to that, early hours of the morning. Yeah, Regis Progre, 20-0 with 17 knockouts. Julius Ndongo in his first fight back since being stopped by Terence Crawford. Um, it's a real shame for Regis Progre. I mean, we had him on the show a few weeks ago. He was supposed to take on Victor Postel, which would have been a really hard fight. And it was one he was certainly, you know, very much up for. And all of a sudden, um, Victor Postel pulls out the fight. And then they draft in a southpaw you know that can punch that's that's been a world champion that's no disgrace i mean he's only lost the one fight to terence crawford this guy's a really really good fighter julius indongo so it's a heavy replacement and i've spoke to regis progre he tells me he believes this is a harder fight than the postal fight but he's still up for it so um you know i give him lots and lots of credit for going through with that fight but that's a really hard fight there um we did the prediction league on this also as while i remember um so yeah i want to throw it down to you regis progre against julius Indongo. How do you see that fight? So far on Twitter, our listeners have gone with Progre to win by knockout. I'm going for Julius Indongo on points. Okay, well I'm going to go with Progre to win um, by knockout as well. I think it could be quite late, but yeah, I'm going with the listeners on that. Um, yeah, that's it for that one. Moving over now to the Stur Arena in Denmark. One fight to mention over here. Uh, Dennis Shellan, he gets in the ring again. I think he hasn't fought since losing to Josh Warrington. His record 18 and 1 with two draws. He takes on Jesus Sanchez, who's 8 and 1. We're really scraping the barrel here, but moving over to Germany. One fight on here that really gets my interest. Tavel Pulev. This is the brother of Kubrat Pulev. He's a cruiserweight. He's 8 and 0 with 8 knockouts. He's in an 8 rounder against Valerie Brudov, former opponent of Tony Bellew. A real puncher as well, Valerie Brudov. I remember he had Bellew in some trouble, but he broke his foot in that fight as well. He's record 44 and 13. He's really been around the block. What a fight that is, by the way. All the very best to both men there. What a fight. And moving over now to another part of Germany. One fight to mention over here. Um, 
Kevin Johnson, the colourful heavyweight, 32 and 8 with one draw. He actually lives in Germany now, believe it or not. He fights for the IBO international heavyweight title against a guy called Peter Millas, who's actually 10 and 0. He might be quite a good fighter. I'm not quite sure of that, but um, you know, he's he's obviously you know being 10 and 0. He's got eight knockouts. He's 22 years old, which is quite unbelievable. But yeah, he's either going to be a really good fighter. And it's you know it's a great great win for him if he does it, or he's not going to be any good, and he's just a bit of a padded record for Kevin Johnson. Either way, all the very best to both men. Moving over now to another part of Germany, one fight to mention over here, another fight that's really gone under the radar. Jack Kulkai, twenty-two and three, former world champion. He takes on our very own Craig Cunningham, nineteen and two. It's an eight rounder there. What a great fight that one is. I mean, if Craig Cunningham can do the job, that'd be amazing. But um, it's a really, really hard ask for him, you'd have to say. Craig Cunningham, obviously, the guy that beat Anthony Agogo that night. Uh, moving over now to the StubHub Center in Carson, California. This one's going to be on ESPN. I think also Sky Sports will be showing this bill as well. couple fights to mention over here. Andy Ruiz Jr., 29-1. He's in an eight-rounder against Devin Vargas, 20-4. Um, Andy Ruiz Jr., really a bit of an unlucky man. You know, when he went over to New Zealand and fought Joseph Parker, he was quite unlucky in many people's eyes. He didn't get the verdict that night for the world title. Uh, also on this bill, Mike Reed, 23-1. and He's coming back. Um, this is his first fight after losing to um, to Ramirez, to Jose Ramirez. So this is a humongous um, fight back for him. 23-1. and one. He's in a 10-rounder against Arnold Barboza Jr., who's 17-0 and 0 as well. So really throwing himself in the deep end there in his fight back after losing by knockout. So really, really take my hat off to him. Also on this bill, Andy Vences, who's 20-0, takes on Eric De Leon, who's 17-0. That's a great, great fight there. This one's for the WBC Continental America's Super Featherweight title. Also the vacant WBO International Super Featherweight title. Uh, and the main event here, the man that we spoke to earlier on in the show, Oscar Valdez, 23-0, puts his WBO World featherweight title on the line against Scott Quigg 34 and 1 with two draws Scott Quigg I has um a man that has shared the ring in sparring with Oscar Valdez before. Oscar Valdez tells us that their styles match up really well and that they went toe-to-toe when they were sparring. Um, but Scott Quigg's a tough, tough guy. I mean, obviously, some people like to kind of get at him for losing to Carl Frampton because there was so much, you know, so much hate in the build-up in that fight. But really and truly, he fought most of the fight with a broken jaw and he really came on strong in the second part of the fight. And Carl Frampton wasn't able to really, you know, put him in any kind of trouble to where he was going to possibly get stopped I think Scott Quigg's got some massive massive cojones and I think it's a great great fight and certainly it's not you know it's not like a inevitable win here for for Oscar Valdez it's certainly going to be a close fight how do you see it though we've gone to predictions on this also I think it's going to be a very good fight um Oscar Oscar Valdez um Oscar Valdez this is quick Oscar Valdez is a very very good fighter so is Scott Quigg but um Oscar Valdez is a 2012 Olympian um Scott Quigg isn't Scott Quick has been in some good fights, so has Oscar Valdez. But if I'm going to have to go with the win, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Oscar Valdez on points, and I reckon it'll be a very tough fight for Quick. But I'm going to go with Valdez win on points. It's a really thrilling fight, this one. I'm really looking forward to it. This one, like I say, going to be on Sky Sports. Our, our listeners on Twitter have actually gone with Scott Quigg to win on points. And after that, they've gone with Valdez to win on points. So Valdez, who's obviously quite a puncher. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, for the last few fights, he's either been down himself or put his opponent down. Something like the, the last like seven or eight fights in a row. So he's always in exciting fights. Um, Valdez... 
yeah, I'm think I'm going to go with him to win on points. I don't see him stopping Scott Quigg, but if he does, then that's a humongous statement. It really, really, really is. Because if he does something that Carl Frampton couldn't do, then that would be mega. But um, yeah, I think Scott Quigg, he's, he's a tough guy. We've got to give him that at least. I think he goes the distance. But yeah, the listeners have gone with Quigg on points. Me and you agree on ours with Valdez on points. Um Moving over now to the Freeman Coliseum in San Antonio, Texas, USA. A few fights to mention on here. This one as well being shown on Box Nation. It was a bit of a last-minute deal. They're going to be showing fights on Friday night tomorrow and then, of course, on Saturday night also. So it's a great time to be a Box Nation subscriber. Um, this bill, though, let's go through the names here. We've got Josecito Lopez, 35-7, and seven, taking on Hector Munoz who is 25 and 19 with one draw, an eight-rounder there. Brandon Figueroa, that's the brother of Omar Figueroa. He's 14 and 0. He's in an eight-rounder against Giovanni Delgado, who's 16 and 6. Mario Barrios, he's 20 and 0, a bit of a prospect. Well, very much a prospect. He's in a 10-rounder against Udi Bernardo, who's 23 and 2. That's a good fight there. Richard Commies also on this bill. His record 25 and 2. Really good fighter. He takes on Alejandro Luna, who's 22 and 0. This is a brilliant bill, by the way. Rancis Barthelemy, 26 and 0 for the vacant WBA World Super Lightweight title, takes on Kirill Relic. Kirill Relic, of course, former opponent of Ricky Burns. His record 21 and 2. This is a rematch between those two as well. Um, in the first fight, Barthelemy actually was down, and also I think Relic got knocked down as well, but it was quite a close fight so um, certainly going to be a great great rematch and top of the bill the man that we'll be speaking to in just a few moments time Sergei Lipinets 13 and 0 with 10 knockouts takes on Mikey Garcia 37 and 0 this one's for the IBF world super lightweight title Ayaz what's your thoughts on that fight again Lipinets really really stepping up here it's his first defense of the title you've got to give him massive credit for taking on Mikey Garcia but this again is Mikey Garcia's chance here to become a four weight world champion so stuff that you know boxers dream of winning a world title but not many boxers dream of winning one in four different weight classes it really is an elite elite short list of names this, that have done this, that this is gonna be a very good fight for mike garcia in my opinion mike garcia is one of the pound for pound fighters obviously we've seen we've seen him fight he's a very he's a puncher as well he's a very good boxer he's got a very good coach with him he's a top fighter as well but if i'm going to go for a win i'm going to go for mikey garcia and i reckon mikey garcia is going to win on points Okay, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go with a Garcia knockout. Um, uh, again, it, it kind of it hurts me to say it because Mikey Garcia is a, a massive friend of the show and Sergei Lipinets I'm just about to speak to. So, you know, I wish both men the best of luck, but if I have to give a prediction, which I do because we're quite forceful on this show, it is what it is. Um, so, yeah, it is, you know, that, that's, the way I, that's the way I'm going to see it. Um, I think Garcia knocks him out, and 75% of our listeners also agree with that. Nobody reckons that Lipinets is going to win on points at all. They're actually giving Lipinets a knockout um, chance just as much as Garcia to win on points. 13% going with both of those outcomes. But, yeah, I'm going with the listeners with a Garcia knockout there. But what a fight that is. And like I say, I give Lipinets humongous, humongous credit for taking this fight. But that's really it for the preview. And just before we bring in the second guest, it's time to announce the competition winner for the for the Box Hard Podcast T-shirt that we will be sending out. Um, this was a competition on Twitter. We simply just said to retweet the the tweet and you know that's about it but we've actually had 107 retweets um quite a few boxers have retweeted it too just to get us a few more retweets but um yeah 107 people have entered i had so um you've you've got the names in the hat all 107 of them in that little small hat that you've got there so just 
give them a little scramble and pick out one name and let us know or let myself and the listeners know who's won the t-shirt this week right the winner of the competition and the t-shirt is Nathan Moose what's his twitter handle as n underscore Moose Okay, yes, 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 I know that is, yeah, he's been listening for quite a while now, so he's the winner, we will send out that t-shirt tomorrow, Iaz will send it out with his special, uh, special, uh, special mail, he's, he's got his own mail, Iaz mail, it should come to you within about, uh, about three months, no, I'm joking, it'll be there within a couple of days, of course, so congratulations, Nathan Muse. thank you to everybody else that entered the competition, by the way, there will be a follow-up competition coming in probably about two weeks, I think we're going to have to order some more t-shirts in to keep these competitions going, because it was uh, it was quite fun, like I say, I didn't really realise that there was going to be that many people retweeting, so if you've if you've retweeted, like I say, your, your name was in the hat, and um, thank you everybody for entering eyes from you as well, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you very much. Excellent stuff. Right, just before we wrap up part two, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated IBF super lightweight world champion, Mr. Sergei Lipinet. Sergei, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Good, thank you very much. Thank you. No problem, no problem. So, Sergey, you're now the champion of the world. Of course, you beat Akihiro Kondo last time out for the vacant title back in November. You won a unanimous decision. In your first defense here on Saturday, you're going to be fighting Mikey Garcia. So, tell me, Sergey, why Mikey Garcia? Very good fighter. Big fight. Because I want to Поэтому мне хочется, чтобы меня узнали, узнавали. И хочу быть тоже звездой бокса. Хочу быть лучшим и делюсь лучшим. Well, first of all, uh, hats off to Mr. Kondo. He was a great fighter. And, uh, but unfortunately, he was not known to the, to the public in boxing. And uh, if you look at my, my, my first 13 fights, you'll see that I was always fighting up. He never fought down. And uh, every opponent that I had was somebody that was not that easy to fight. Uh, and I prevailed. The reason I took Mikey, because that's number one priority for me, to fight the best and uh, get on the, uh, on the top of the food chain as soon as possible. I believe that I, have, I possess that, that quality in boxing. I want fame, I want money, and everything else that comes with it. And I want to ask you, Sergey, have you watched much video on Mikey Garcia? A lot of people say he's one of the best fighters in the world. Do you believe Mikey Garcia is one of the best fighters in the world, Sergey? I think he's one of the best fighters in the world. So we took him. Well, absolutely, Mikey Garcia is one of the best fighters in the world. That's one of the reasons I agreed to fight him the second they offered that to me. And uh, yes, I did watch his fight. But uh, it really doesn't matter to me. It's still the, the same thing, you know. Two hands, two hands, two legs, and one head. Just not a not a fighter. And if you beat Mikey Garcia, you will become one of the biggest names in boxing. Everybody would be interested in Sergei Lipinets. Everybody would want to see your next fight. So if you beat Mikey Garcia, Sergey, who is next? Who do you want after that? First of all, I'm not looking past that day, the coming up fight. Uh, I'm not even going to consider anything else but Mikey Garcia. From what I heard, 
he's looking to fight this guy and that guy. I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I have to do my job on Saturday night, and then my team will figure out what's next for me. Okay, yeah, I like that answer. Very clever. Now, I've seen I've seen Sergei training on video. I've seen him training on video. I've seen him pulling a car with a piece of rope. I thought that was crazy. I see Sergei pulling a car. It was amazing. Does Sergei do any other, you know, cool techniques when he's when he's, you know, training for a fight? И если это помогает выиграть, зачем что-то менять механизм, если он работает? Well, I'm 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 training uh, uh, different from every fight, but uh, the basis of my training regimen is the same. I mean, it's always it's always worked for me. And why why break it? If it ain't, I mean, why fix it if it ain't broken? That's that's the main thing. You know, I'm I'm getting ready to fight the fight of my life, and uh, everything is on the table for. Me. And the last two questions now, Sergey. Obviously, you were born in Kazakhstan, just like Gennady Golovkin. Is Gennady perhaps a friend of yours, or at least are you a big fan of Gennady? Everybody loves Gennady, including the UK, of course. Well, there's nothing that, beyond the fact that we were born in the same place. I've met him one or two times. I love the way he fights. I'm, I'm his biggest fan and uh, uh, always rooting for him to win, but um, I'm not trying to build my name and my legacy based on uh, me uh, being compared to uh, Gennady Golovkin. Uh, I'm building my own legacy, and uh, I want Sergei, the name of Sergey Lipinev being mentioned in the a, in a, in a, in a context of being the best in the world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the final question now, um, I want to ask you, what is your prediction for this fight on Saturday? How do you win this fight and defeat Mikey Garcia and take his undefeated record away? Is it a points or is it is it a knockout? How do you see it? Of course, you can punch as well. Ten knockouts from 13 wins. Ну, конечно же, каждый из нас хочет выиграть нокаутом, ведь это и есть красивое завершение боксерского речи, поэтому мы будем стараться. I can't anything. Go out there and fight. And, uh, uh, of course, he's a, he's a fighter, I'm the fighter, and everybody's going to strive for a KO. This is the, 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 the ultimate, this is what every fighter is aiming for in a boxing match, and that's what he's going to do. He just said, you know, whatever, whichever way it comes, he's going to win. Okay, listen, Sergey, thank you for your time. Best of luck for Saturday. Good luck, and we will speak again soon, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Speak soon. You got it. All right.
Okay, now it's time to conclude episode 125 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Summer has been I as Summer. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the undefeated WBO featherweight world champion, Mr. Oscar Valdez, and the undefeated IBF super lightweight world champion, Mr. Sergei Lipinets. Also, a little thank you to his translator, Alex, as well. The Prediction League currently stands at you, the listeners, in the lead with 30 points now due to the fact that the listeners, and I want to say well done now for getting a full house of correct predictions last week, which was also um, what what I did as well. Those those picks, by the way, were Kovalev to win by knockout, Bivol to win by knockout, Josh Taylor to win by knockout, Kelbrook to win by knockout, and Wilder to win by knockout, which of course all happened. I missed it by one because I went with Ortiz to win by knockout, which nearly happened, by the way. So yeah, Iaz is on 28 points, you the listeners with 30, and me way behind with 21. Please remember, if you do get a chance to leave us a review on iTunes, because they mean a lot to us. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy your weekends, people, which I'm sure you will, and we will see you next week.